That's all of our amazing interns in the back. We love them a lot. This is a letter from a father to his son, fictitiously, in the year 2030. Dear son, congratulations on your baby-to-be. I remember the feeling your mom and I had when we discovered you would be born way back in 1992. I know, I know, it was another century, but I remember the anticipation and the angst we felt knowing we were about to introduce another child into this world. I've intended to say something to you for a long time, but never found the words. I guess it's easier for me to write them than to say them to your face. I know it sounds cliche, but you'll be raising your child in such a different world than the one you grew up in. Everything's changed. In your early years, life seemed so easy. You were on top of the world. We hovered over you, intended to pave the way for your college and your career. We wanted you to know we believed in you, that you were special and could do anything you set your mind to do. We wanted your self-esteem and your self-confidence to be rock solid. Looking back, I realized that in our efforts to help you, we actually hurt you. Please know we meant well. As I ponder your situation now with your marriage contract ending this month, I can see you're in a difficult spot. What's more, because we let you move back home with us after college, you weren't prepared for the world that awaited you. We just didn't know what to do. You depended on the meds to get you through each week, and you lacked a realistic plan with the economy in 2014. And you were as addicted to online gaming then as you are today. We couldn't seem to find a way to prepare you for the future you currently face, and now it's too late to change things. Son, I feel like I have failed you. With all the help your mother and I tried to give you, the results ended up doing just the opposite of what we intended. We hindered you from becoming the best version of you possible. I feel we spent more time protecting you from life rather than preparing you for it. All of this hit me like a ton of bricks last night. I watched a documentary on culture change, and I was shocked to see the impact of my generation, parents, teachers, coaches, youth workers, retailers, employers, that we had on you. The program painted an all-too-familiar picture of you and so many of your friends, adults living in isolation because they can't stick with their marriage contracts, even those short-term contracts that have become so popular. Social media junkies with little to no emotional intelligence or people skills, obese adults who are stressed and don't have the discipline to eat right and exercise, nearly an entire generation addicted to happy pills because of chronic anxiety and depression, a generation of adults we allowed to pass through school without really learning how to think for themselves, people confused about their gender and identity because of the BPA you all consumed, midlife adults who are in a love you, hate you relationship with their parents. I keep wondering if that's true for us. All of this saddens me because it was so unnecessary. With the baby coming now, it's your turn to lead. I fear you aren't ready. We let you down. Son, I hope you can forgive me. Forgive us for not leading you better. But more importantly, I hope you can somehow make up for our mistakes. You're about to become a dad and make me a granddad. Please lead this little one well. Do better than we did in raising the next generation. It may be our only chance to save our future. I love you, Dad. Again, this is a fictitious letter written, written by 
Dr. Tim Elmore, an amazing author, in the year 2030, from a father to his Generation Z son. The title of this talk for the next few minutes is, Hello, Pastor. I'm Generation Z. Generation Z, today's teens and young adults. Google is actually older than most of them. They are collaborative and team oriented. See, I find it to be of paramount importance to share with you three simple truths you must know about this generation. Being in youth ministry for nearly 10 years now has afforded me the opportunity to do life with teenagers and young adults, probably more than I'm willing to admit. One of the saddest verses for me as a youth pastor is Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It says, and after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation arose who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Essentially, this entire generation was raised up that did not know the ways nor the works of God. Here's the first thing you must know about this generation if you're going to parent them lead them, pastor them well, number one, is that most are orphans trying to find their way home. See, a national study was facilitated some years ago asking teenagers why they went to a local church youth group and overwhelmingly far surpassing lights and sound and cool worship leaders and smoke. They selected a warm and friendly environment where people treated me like family. Most recently, in the last two weeks, the Washington Post released an article. I was just reading the other day. It says, pastors and church leaders, if you want to attract this generation, be less cool and be warm. And what they're referring to is this warm culture of family. Adoption support experts would say one of the most important and foremost tasks to accomplish when acclimating an adopted child is building attachments. See, they must belong before they will believe. A youth ministry mentor and hero in my life often says people will rarely care about how much you know until they know how much you care. See, when asked what's the number one issue facing this generation of teenagers and young adults, my answer is always simple. It's an identity crisis. There's a major disconnect between what God says about them and what they actually believe. See, well-meaning statisticians have all but counted them out from serving God beyond their youthful, emotional teenage years, but I am a firm believer in the word of God. The word of God still works. So here's my challenge to you, whether you're parenting, mentoring, leading, or pastoring, tell them the truth, repeat it often, and make it burn in their hearts. The home in which they are searching is not mere head knowledge that can be referenced and or refuted, with a simple fact check on Google, they're searching for a God and a faith in which they can encounter a personal experience with a personal God through personal pastors, leaders, parents, and mentors in their lives. Number two, this generation wants to give their lives to serve a cause that they deem worthy as my friend John was explaining, absolutely, hit the nail on the head. It's not a motivation issue. It's a movement issue. They're more idealistic while simultaneously struggling with being hopeful. They want to give themselves to a cause. They, they want to change the world. Again, contrary to popular belief, they're not all selfish and self-absorbed, even though they post more selfies per hour than any other age group. But they're mostly philanthropic, generous and into serving. 
they'll get behind a God who they find and discover to be worthy and a man or a woman who's worthy of leading them. And number three, my final point, this generation, Generation Z, is seeking to be fascinated. They actually want to live in wonder. It takes pastors, leaders, and parents who live in utter fascination with God. See, this cannot be counterfeited because they know the difference. Whenever you're just mailing it in or whenever you're just going through the religious traditions and motions, they will discern it from a mile away. You'll add to them by what you say, but you'll multiply in their hearts what you really are and how you really live. So leaders, my question for you is do you live in awe and fascination with God or have you lost that over the years? We have to impart awe-struck wonder at the character and the, nature and the nature of God to Generation Z. One of the ways I do that in my own life, and we've heard it multiple times throughout this conference, is disconnecting. Some of the most powerful moments has been in my vehicle, whether I'm driving or sometimes honestly pulling over on the side of the road, looking up at the mountains, or just pausing in the moment and saying, God, you are so good. Take me back to my first love. Restore to me the joy, Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of just being saved. Here's the way that I live in fascination with God. It does not take me long to go back to the place of remembering who I was whenever Jesus found me.